Hello there and welcome to episode 58 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion Football Club. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Tom Goff. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. You know what? I am tired now of writing bleak introductions. This isn't the energy that we like to bring at the start of a usual episode of the Debate Club, but I feel like it's all been said before at this point. We've had the sounds of sirens and impending doom ringing on our ears for long enough now. And I keep thinking to myself, it surely can't get any worse than it currently is, but then guess what? It just does. And at this point, I really can't make sense of what is going on at the Albion. It just feels like we are a total joke, a total mess, a total shambles. And so today on the episode, as well as discuss the usual fanfare and stuff that's been going on, we're going to do our best to autopsy the current situation, to dig through the corpse that is our club. I've been watching the new Dharma series, can you tell? But before we get to the bloodshed, Say that again, because it sounds like I'm getting emotional. Before we get to the bloodshed, let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. We love you. We appreciate you. If you want to leave us a review on the platform that you're listening to this right now, we are really grateful that you do that. Leave us a five-star review, and it helps other people looking for West Brom podcasts to find us. Go and tell your friends. Tell people at the matches. Tell your family and loved ones, and even people you don't like. Let them know. Take them on the journey with you. Once again this week, we're joined by Tom from Baggies Bulletin, who we love and cherish here at the Debate Club. Very really excited to have you back on, Tom. Uh, and, you know, I know the conversation is just going to be richly, richly benefited from your presence here today. And so let's get to it, I guess. We're going to talk about the Swansea game. But obviously, the Swansea game in of itself is now surrounded by so many controversies and so much turmoil and disappointment around the management situation, around the stuff going on and off the pitch. And so I guess the Swansea game is almost a way of getting ourselves into this conversation, the bigger conversations around the club at the moment. The game obviously played out on Saturday. It was a bit of a to and fro affair. Swansea took the lead. We came back into it. They equalised. We had the opportunity to win it through a penalty of Carl and Grant. That was missed. And they went on to win 3-2 as they scored towards the end of the game. While I was at the match watching it myself, it was a game where I thought I might be quite happy if we lost it, which is a really strange place to find yourself as a supporter of a team. And when we were winning and the opportunity to win, arose I almost felt slightly robbed that winning almost wasn't going to be the most beneficial outcome for West Brom in this situation but my lack of faith was completely rewarded when Swansea went on to win it and there was a kind of half-hearted appeal from those that were still there Bruce out and so on and so forth so there's a lot to talk about I guess but let's just start off by what did you make of the game on Saturday. I think it's one of those games that you forget about quite, even though there was loads of goals. There was a period in the second half where I thought, oh, they've turned it on after, you know, just after half time. We seemed to start playing well. Dean Garner down the left. Thought, oh, maybe we could do something. But no, I think finished like Albion do at the moment. We just fall off the edge of the cliff and pretty heroic way of doing it, to be honest. Missing a penalty and then going down the other end and losing to someone 
like Swansea, who were kind of crap, weren't they? They weren't very good at all. I think we just made them look good. I don't know how we do it. It doesn't make sense. I know people blame the players that we don't try too much and there's some dead wood in that team. But I don't know how we do it. It's harder to lose in some of the situations we're in and we still do it. It's embarrassing. And you see, like, on that third goal, when everyone's looking around, you know, some players hitting the floor, you know, in anger, but they're all part of it. Like, if it's any other type of business and your key players you were performing like that and letting down the stakeholders in that business, they'd be, you know, they'd be sacked. It's embarrassing, isn't it? There's no heart in any of it. Manager, players, I think the fans are going. It's just becoming like a heartless, soulless club at the moment. Two things for me, like the first thing was, it's embarrassing saying this now, but I was actually feeling quite confident before the game in the, we'd obviously lost the Blues in the, the last home game we had, but then we obviously went away to Norwich and got that point against Norwich, you know, who were on a great run of form. They've really picked up top end of the table and we put in you know, a half decent performance and got a good point. Again, you know, like I said, I just kind of feel like a bit embarrassed because I just thought, oh, two weeks, you know, and the international breaks probably come at a good time. We had a couple of new guys who we'd brought in on freeze to bring them into the mix you know do some work on the training pitch we had those guys to integrate in two weeks to work with him and everyone else Swansea at home again like you touched on a team that's been struggling themselves they've been shipping you know a lot of goals great opportunity to kind of get three points and try and kickstart the season and yeah before the game I wasn't you know super confident that we were going to do it but I did think we were going to get three points so to see what played out and the thing for me is I just I don't know how he got it so wrong it was so so bad in that first half you know he obviously changed things around he brought Rogic in for his first start and he tweaked the system a bit I think in midfield but it was just it was just so wrong you know they just weren't molding you know there was no togetherness there there was no link up play they just looked like strangers that's probably the best way to describe it and I just kind of was thinking how, how has this happened you know like I said we had that decent performance against Norwich two weeks to, to work together and then come and attack this game against Swansea at home and you know it was awful it was absolutely terrible and you're right we did pick up in the second half he'd obviously give him a rollick in at half time but still it would have been completely unfair for us to have gotten even a point from that game I think you know Swansea were well deserved of three points and you're right we made a bang average Swansea team look good especially in that first half you know they were just kind of running rings around us we were chasing shadows the thing that stood out for me was he's had two weeks to work with this bunch of players to try and get things right to try and build on that decent point against Norwich and we've gone backwards you know we've taken not two steps backwards you know 10 steps backwards it was absolutely awful performance yeah I think for me it's this repetition of the same patterns that you see happening week in week out there seems to be no structure or specific ideas as to why we're going to approach a game and other teams come and they're very much they've come with a plan of how they're going to take points away from Albion and my concern going into this game was a team that was comfortable in possession like we know Swansea teams to be and Russell Martin teams when he was at MK Duns was very similar to that happy in possession they're happy to build from the back they're going to have players that are comfortable on the ball all over the pitch even though individually speaking ability wise I would question how many of them would out like kind of perform our players on an individual level perhaps not this season but given across their whole career I'd say very very few but these players they've come there's a clear plan there's a clear way of playing. And for me, we had no plan out of possession or in possession. 
we weren't looking to build through the midfield. We were clearly outnumbered in midfield in the first half. I think that was a big problem. The tempo, the direction, you got major, major problems. And, and I think for me, even having Rogic in there, who I didn't think was too bad, he, he probably isn't ready to come in and start making a huge difference now. I didn't think he was as bad as some people have said he was, but I don't think he was anything really to write home about. I think Jake Livermore was good out of possession in this game. But the thing that concerned me was, again, we saw this horseshoe pattern where the wing backs will play it from either side and it'll be just like a chipped ball, hopefully up to Jed Wallace or to Dean Garner. And really, there isn't much of an outlet then of the, the ball to go out of play. Jed Wallace wins it and crosses into Noah Vale because Asante and all of the other players just aren't capable of getting on the end of the type of crosses that we put in. It's the same stuff we talk about every week. The other thing that was concerning was this. I had people behind me shouting, we just need to press. We need to press them when they were just rolling it back around. And it would be kind of bits and starts. It would almost be like our press was based on the murmurings in the crowd rather than a strategy that the manager or the coaches were instructing the players to do. So what would happen is you'd see the crowd would get frustrated and then Asante Thomas would run to the ball. But there wasn't a team wide press and so that all that happened was they play around the press easy and then you could hear the groans in the crowd when there was someone in space and that kept happening in the first half they'd have their wing back on the opposite side to play just in acres of space because there'd be this disjointed press happening across the front where Jed Wallace or someone would start charging around but it must be just for other teams so simple to combat the only times where we did do a little bit more of a kind of organized press you saw Swansea genuinely struggled and they would either go long and lose possession or they'd make mistakes and so for me there you see that there was something we could have done there was something of a plan that we could have implemented but it seems like Steve Bruce and the team that he's built around him I don't know what the conversations are in their match preparation but all we see is the same thing every week and other managers must just be rubbing their hands together when they come to play Albion because I just think we are so easy to counteract in our attacking options. Right, let's talk a little bit more detail about this game. I think there's one or at least a couple of areas of conversation that are going to emerge fairly quickly. Obviously, we've said already that Swansea kind of dominated possession in the first half and they did take the lead. I don't know whether when you say they dominated possession, they weren't necessarily crafting loads and loads of chances. I think in the whole game, they only had four shots on target. I believe that's correct. And obviously, they've gone on to score three, which kind of, leans very quickly into an area of weakness. The first goal comes after David Button makes an extraordinary save that leads to a corner. But then on the resulting corner, he flaps at the ball. And it literally is a flap. Like there's a full wrist action and everything to miss this ball. And obviously it's just poked in as it goes through. Their other goals resulted from what you could perceive as some defensive frailties. The defensive back line was obviously changed. Connor Townsend and Dara Shane, the centre, Eric Peters or Pietrush, as Alex pronounced it last week on the left back position and Darnell Fell on the right wing. Their midfielder, what's his name, in Cham or something like that? Cuts in a beautiful pronunciation if you if you guys want to just allow me that. He cuts in, not closed down quick enough, and obviously scores. And then the last one, their striker's name? Obafemi. That's the one. See how naturally we do this podcast. <laughs> he gets too much space in the box. He turns. 
which is just ridiculous in the position he finds himself. And he's just basically got the whole goal to aim at. The last two goals are definitely, there's areas of it where you can point to the defence and say Pat's button wasn't protected as much as he needs to be. However, the grand scheme of things, Button faces so few shots relative to most keepers in this league. He's becoming kind of the subject of a bit of a witch hunt now because of his performances. And this performance, again, just highlighted this kind of frail we have in goal. Four shots faced, three goals conceded. What do we do about the goalkeeper situation? Is Button that bad? The statistics out there, what do you guys think? Change him. He's shocking, isn't he? You know, he hasn't really featured for any first team in his career. He's always been a bench warmer. And then the first team to give him his thing, he shows his true colours. And I don't want to be horrible to him, but we were saying just before we went back on air, I was saying that everyone keeps talking about this on Twitter, you know, all the local journalists saying, oh, Button made a great save and then goes and makes a howler. But the first save, it is a good save, but any goalkeeper should be making that, any decent goalkeeper. And because it's Button, we're making it out as a much better save than it is. And I think we're making him seem better when he does something what he should do as a goalkeeper. I can't see Alex Palmer being, if he's on par with him, fine. We've just got two shocking goalkeepers, haven't we? We can't do anything about that till January. But I can't see him being as bad. And it's not doing him any good, David Button, having him in goal at the moment. He's had a pretty bad season by statistics and visually seen him. Button needs changing for himself, for his well-being, his mentality. And for the club, to be honest, give Alex Palmer. He's been sitting in the reserves, going out on loan for a long time, giving me a shot. Yeah, Penny for Palmer's thoughts in all this, you know, because he's obviously sat there on the bench each week seeing these performances. He's undoubtedly seeing the stuff doing the rounds on social media in terms of you know, shots faced and how many have ended up in goals. And they must be looking at that stuff anyway, surely, mustn't they? You know, the goalkeeping team, the, the goalkeeping coach, this stuff must be getting analysed to an extent. So what must he be thinking in that? When am I going to get my chance? Because, you know, I'm not sure it is going to come. You know, based on the comments I was reading from Bruce in his pre-match conference, interviews today you know, he's obviously getting asked the question by the journalists about Button whether he's going to keep his spot and stuff and even though he didn't kind of come out and say one way or another he kind of hinted that he is going to keep his spot and that he was kind of pointing a bit of the blame at the defence wasn't he that it's not just his fault it's the defence's fault but you know, like you said earlier he faced four shots four shots on target at the weekend and let three of them in with two of them in my opinion being very much savable and that has been a common theme throughout the season and he isn't facing that many shots, really. And the weird thing about it as well, I find, is that he hasn't really made any kind of clear-cut errors, has he? If you think back at the goals, you know, there's no absolute howlers where he's kind of let a ball under his foot or it's trickled past him or anything like that. But if you look closely at his positioning and where people have been scoring their goals from, you know, I think about that Blues game and the guy poking the ball in from pretty much the byline, wasn't it? And he's just not good enough. It's as simple as that. I think the longer it goes on, Bruce insisting on picking it. You know, I can't see his performances improving from what we've seen so far. The crowd are just going to get on his back. The abuse will undoubtedly start. And that's not good for him, is it? Ultimately, at the end of the day, he's a human being still, isn't he? So, you know, I think yeah, not only are the club's best interest, but for his as well, he needs to give Palmer a game and just see how he gets on. You know, he signed a new contract in the summer. You know, the club must rate him to a point to offer him a new deal in the summer so yeah he can't carry on like this it's just it's almost farcical isn't it it's it's, it's embarrassing 
It's kind of in that Geneva Convention realm now for me, cruel and unusual punishment or torture. <laughs> because I don't get, at what point is this no longer his fault because he doesn't pick himself to play in the team? And I think even like you say, the eyeball test, the statistics, it all speaks for itself. And it's it's not just the case of if he stays at this level, it's not good enough. It's definitively true that I'm watching a guy short of confidence as well. There are a couple of moments in the second half where balls that he's caught, he dropped. And it's just evidence that he's clearly, his nerves are frayed now. He knows the situation. Like you said, they all know the statistics in that goalkeeping room, the room where the goalkeepers live. And they're all aware of the details of what are happening. You've got the defenders who will be aware of this guy behind us isn't coming to collect the ball. He's not going to come and claim this cross. He's not someone I can confidently pass the ball back to there's all of these things playing out in the defense and then the reality of it is is the statistics are all there that we have faced i believe it was and i take this from the albion analytics podcast those guys doing absolutely amazing work over there so go check them out they were saying that we faced the fifth fewest shots in the league and yet david button's save percentage is 40 percent, which puts him i think slap bang at the bottom of the league of goalkeepers who have played any number of appearances in the league this season and then the save average for most goalkeepers in the championship is about 70 percent, and his is 40 and that's a radical underperformance and even then said we, he faces fewer shots than most keepers and that you can then measure the value of those shots and uh, that RXG isn't like high compared to other teams it's just simply put we are conceding chances that other teams goalkeepers are saving that's frightening for me that you would allow a player who is in that situation to continue playing You'd think that the best thing that Bruce could do would just be to acknowledge that and give him a couple of weeks break, just stick Palmer in. Like we said, it can't be worse. And if it is worse, then what the hell is Palmer? I mean, I hesitate to guess. Like, and if it's if Palmer's not up for it, stick an under-13s goalkeeper in, do something, because ultimately what we currently have is costing us points it's costing us results. And I mean, I just think the knock-on effect on the rest of the team, the message it sends is just, it's madness, really. And I think you can look at the defence and say that some of the reasons that they look so wobbly in possession is because of Button being behind them. And it all snowballs into this dire set of circumstances that means that we have to score three and four goals a game if we really want to take a win home. And we're just not converting enough chances to be keeping up with how many goals were conceding. I think this argument, Steve Bruce came out and said that it's also defence's fault. The defence this season, since the Jays been out, has been a makeshift defence, left, right and centre, you know, we've been shifting everybody and especially on Saturday with Connor Townsend, I know he's played there before, but we saw it last season, Stoke, he was one of the reasons that they went and scored. He isn't a centre-back and there is going to be mistakes that happen when we've got makeshift, but Button is a professional goalkeeper, that's what he's paid for, he's paid to save. I know everyone hates Carl and Grant, put him in goal, I bet everyone love him after that. He can't be as bad for David Button at the moment and like Tom said, he's a human being, he needs to be be rested you know he needs to be taken out the spotlight it just reminds me of the whole David De Gea thing you know a couple of seasons ago where do you remember he was just having an absolute nightmare season wasn't he he was just making mistake after mistake and I think it was Solskjaer his manager at the time just continued backing him continued playing him and he, he just got progressively worse and it was because like you said it was just that monkey on his back wasn't it he knew the fans were, were, were starting to lose faith in him and 
and, and starting to get at him and that just building up with every game you know, making another mistake another mistake and then eventually Solskjaer you know, he saw sense and he brought I think it was Henderson who was number two at the time he brought him in and give him a break and then he came back didn't he and he looked he looked much better you know that kind of stress and everything had built up had gone and disappeared and it's uh, you know it's a similar situation I think in that I think you made a great point earlier and that he's been absolutely ages since he's been a number one and it's it's showing isn't it it's showing that he's been out of, of regular first team football for so long that he's struggling with it you know and he hasn't adjusted and he hasn't kind of you know got to those levels that he needs to get to so it's time for a change and just put Palmer in and just see how he gets on, you know, yeah, give him a few games and then you can evaluate, can't you? And, and if he's worse than putting in, then I don't know what, what we do, but I honestly don't think he can be. I've seen Palmer play. I've seen, you know, all right, it's not been at the same level. I saw him play quite a lot of under 23 matches last season. But when I've seen in, in the cup games as well, you know, I think there's a good goalkeeper in there. And, you know, those in the club must think it as well, like I said, to offer him a new contract. So I just can't understand it. And I'm a firm believer of that you know, if, if a manager continues to pick a player who's underperforming, regardless of what your position is on the pitch, continues to pick an underperforming player, you know, it causes unrest, in my opinion, you know, play, People on the bench in the squad seeing that, what do you think they're thinking? They're obviously thinking, what, what have I got to do to get a chance? And, and it's not just Palmer will be thinking that. The other players, like you said, will be thinking it. So they're playing with him, seeing him make these mistakes. They'll be thinking, well, when is he going to give someone else a go? And it causes unrest. It does. You know, I, I'll be absolutely flabbergasted if Button starts on Wednesday night against Preston. But I think he will, you know, I think he will. That's the crazy thing here. I think Button starts against Preston. You know, I'm willing, like, I'll put money on it that Button gets picked to start against Preston Monday, uh, Wednesday, sorry. I totally agree. I think like you said in his interviews today, Steve Bruce has laid the groundwork for this conversation. He's softening the blow to Albion fans that when we click on the lineup and Button's playing, he's definitely going to be there. Someone on, I saw a few people say this, an interesting theory about why Button keeps getting picked is that Steve Bruce feels guilty from making him move up from Brighton. Um, in the summer, <laughs> which I thought actually that might be true. Like I made this guy move house and now he's, he has to play. I thought that was quite a, a, another human element to the story. I think Bruce wants his compensation. So he's playing button and goal. <laughs> I swear, I, I, honestly, that sounds like a joke, but I genuinely think some of the stuff he said over the last few days, he's genuinely on the wind up. Like, well, we'll move on to the Steve Bruce conversation in a few moments' time. But when he came out the other day and said that he reckons that our expectations we could finish in the top ten this season, he's having a laugh in it. He's definitely on the like in a troll job trying to upset people and get himself sacked. I'm sure of it. Let's quickly finish up talking about this game now. There was another kind of moment of controversy, as you've said, Tom. We did come back into it in the second half a little bit. Jason Malumbi came on and seemed to inject a little bit more energy into midfield, rectified some of the domination that Swansea had in the middle of the park. And then a few changes in, we saw Grant come on, we shifted to a kind of more of a two up front with Asante Thomas. I really think it's interesting, and we're going to come on to Grant in a few seconds time, that Asante Thomas did about the same as what Carlin Grant does with just more frantic runs that didn't really do anything or get played in at all during the game. I felt sorry for Thomas, Asante Thomas, the same way that I feel. Is it, it's a Thomas Asante, isn't it? 
So, yeah, Thomas Sunter, I felt sorry for him as well. The way I feel sorry for Carlin Grant, that is such an unforgiving position to play at West Brom up front. Then, obviously, the big moment of contention is the penalty and Carlin Grant, like, some people have described it as a Penenka, and I think that's giving it a lot of credit. It's like a delicate chip down the middle, but Penenka implies guile and flair. This felt just undercooked. It was a terrible penalty. I had people all around me saying, oh, he's going to miss this. He's going to miss this. Like the general consensus in the crowd was Carlin Grant is going to miss this. And it isn't just being critical, as I feel like we can be as Albion fans sometimes. Statistics say he's missed an awful lot of penalties. (laughs) Like he's not a good, competent penalty taker. And you got players in the team who do or did regularly take first team penalties for their respective clubs before joining us. And so when he missed it, I mean, I expected the boos to just ring out at that point. They didn't. But how is he taking penalties still? For me, there were so many points throughout that game in the weekend that showed the incompetence of Bruce and how cut off almost he is from from the team and what's you know actually going on in the pitch. And I think that was another one of those things that played out in that Carl and Grant is, is pretty much for West Brom got a 50-50 record when it comes to penalties, you know, going back since he signed for the club. So, you know, first of all, how's that not common knowledge among Bruce and his coaching staff that our striker has got this poor record when it comes to taking penalties? But then not only that, like you touched on, we've got Wallace and Swift, who both took penalties for Reading and Millwall last season and have done you know seasons prior both very successful good conversion rates when it comes to penalties and then also the fact that the last penalty we had Thomas Asante took the penalty and you know absolutely buried it really confident penalty bit of a stuttering run you know and absolutely buried it bottom corner you had all those things into the mix like you said you're thinking well how on earth has he ended up picking the ball up putting it on the spot you know, it was such a pivotal moment of the game as well. This is what was crazy for me. Everything was injured on that penalty, wasn't it? You know, I'm confident if you would have buried that pen, we would have won the game. You know, as soon as that penalty was missed, I knew we were going to go and lose the game. It was almost, you just kind of sensed it, didn't you, in the crowd. And the penalty itself was just, I just thought it was brain dead, really, from Grant. You know, I think that's probably the best way to describe it in that he puts his penalty away, we won the game, we've been on a poor run. You know, we get the three points, it could have the potential to kick on the season, you know, go on a bit of a run, put a couple of wins together. You know, just just bury the penalty, no fancy stuff. Just try and put the penalty in the bottom corner. Or if you're going to put it down the middle, just smash it down the middle. You know, and if the keeper pulls off a worldy save, then sometimes you got to say, well, keeper's made a fantastic save. But just get, you know, your body behind it and just absolutely try and bury it. Don't try and do something fancy, which is which is what he tried to do. And that's what I was furious about the most was I just thought, what are you doing? Like it was like I said, it was brain dead, the decision to do what he did. It was almost arrogant, in my opinion. You know, the arrogance of him to at that moment in time with how the game had played out, now our season has gone so far, for him to think, I know what I'm gonna do here, I'm gonna try a cheeky little dink down the middle. It was arrogant in my opinion and completely yeah. brain dead. Just kind of reinforce what I think of Grant already, really, which is I don't think his heart's in it really. You know when Grant gets up to, for a penalty, you know when you take a penalty on FIFA and how hard it is to take a penalty nowadays in FIFA, it's not just pointing your arrow to the corner. You know, they can see where you look and everything. That's how I feel when I'm taking a penalty on FIFA. 
is watching Grant because I never score. It's always over the bar. It's always like literally misses constantly. But you know what I think goes through? I think you're right. There's arrogance from Grant's there picking up the ball because Thomas Asante has scored his last two. I know Grant won the penalty, but I think in Grant's head, and he's probably right, if he scores that penalty, Bruce is so fickle and not tactically wise, he gets into the starting lineup like that. If Grant scores that, that's why he picks the ball up. That he's like thinking about himself because it's that is arrogance and it thinking about himself, not thinking about the team. Thomas Asante's penalty last time was absolutely superb when it was in the corner, buried, wasn't it? So I just think there's you're right, it's arrogance. And yeah, he might be the club penalty taker, but things have changed. You know, we've got some great players in there. Jed Wallace should be taking everyone, to be honest. Over Swift, because Jed Wallace is our best performing player every week in and out. Swift is in and out, isn't he? The interesting thing was, I believe there was a moment where Dara O'Shea had the ball and he actually went and gave it to Carlin Grant, if you watch it back. Because I think there was a moment of contention over who was going to take the penalty. And you can see Brandon Asante Thomas is, is quite fired up. Let's move the conversation slightly forward now. I think that the interesting thing about this game is it's highlighted so many issues at the Albion. It's like become like a little microcosm of our whole season. So I think even though we're talking a lot about the Swansea game, it, there's a lot of issues that were specific to this game that kind of allow us to speak about wider issues. I think another quick point, perhaps we'll be very quick on this one. I think, Joe, you just mentioned there that Wallace has stood out as kind of being perhaps our player of the season so far for some. And Dean Garner being another one who's had real bright spots. The funny thing for me is you're watching the games and the players who really benefit from the way Steve Bruce wants to play are Dean Garner and Jed Wallace. All of this stuff down the wings, all of these crosses coming in to no avail. But for their part in the build-up play, if that's how they're being asked to play, they're doing their job brilliantly. The interesting thing for me is how John Swift looks to be nothing like the player we thought we were getting. You even hear little murmurs and rumblings of criticisms. The positions he has to occupy in the Swansea game to receive the ball are just nowhere near where you want John Swift, one of your most dangerous creative players, to be on the pitch. There were times when he was dropping deep, almost to the defensive line by Eric Peters. And then when he was more advanced, he was wider than Dean Garner at times because that's the only position that Albion tend to play the balls into. You've either, we're either coming up the wing or the ball is going across the front. There is no build-up play in the middle. And that's why I think John Swift, we're not seeing anything like the player we thought we were getting. And for me, I, again, I, I don't even blame the player at this point. I don't blame Carlin Grant, really, although I'm slowly getting off that hill of just blindly supporting Carlin Grant. The instructions are so clearly coming from the bench that I'm almost at this point where if I was a player I would be jaded and confused really about where we were heading and they don't pick themselves they don't ask to play this way and ultimately it keeps pointing back to me to Steve Bruce and the lack of footballing now that's on display at the Albion from a coaching point of view at least 
completely agree because John Swift has been getting a lot of stick. He seems to be, there's always a player, isn't there? There's always a player amongst the fan base who seems to, to get more stick than the others. And John Swift is slowly starting to creep up that, that table, shall we say. I think you're absolutely spot. I was having this conversation with someone else in that Bruce just isn't utilising him at all. And that's the reason you see him floating around everywhere because he's just trying to get on the ball and try and make something happen because that's the kind of player he is. He likes to get on the ball as much as possible. He likes to try and pull the strings and so on. But you're right. Our football is just so orientated down the wings and that's it. The, the midfield, they're just completely left out of matches. And this is one of the reasons why I think Yukoslu has kind of been dropped as well, because he's a player who likes to get on the ball. He likes to drive forward. He likes to make little triangle passes, uh, pull strings. And again, this is the reason why I feel that he has kind of been dropped by Bruce because he's just getting completely left out of, of the game. He's it's just bypassing him. And this is why he's reverted back to Livermore because he's just a grafter. He just puts his head down and runs around and tries to get the ball back. And again, the game against Swansea just, again, it was another another box ticked in terms of Bruce just getting it wrong. The decision to play Rogic as well, which is just one that I just thought was unbelievable, to play Rogic and Swift together when Bruce sets up and plays the way he plays, like I said, with the focus being down the wings, why would you drop Malumbi, who's been playing quite well, and play two creative midfielders who don't really like to get stuck in and get back and defend? It just was bonkers. It just completely baffled me. Well, just to put a perspective around Swift. Swift was at Reading for a few years, wasn't they? They've been struggling at the bottom. Now they're third in the championship. So, there so you he go. is the problem. <laughs> yeah. he is the, he, basically, he's the handcuff that's holding us back this season so far. Yeah. He's brought us into Reading's position. You can't argue with the facts there. Sorry, John. This one's on you. Let's, let's come out of this game now. Obviously... I'm going to say it was disappointing, but it wasn't. Part of me was delighted that we'd lost because I thought following the loss, we'd have a few like hours. I'd get back to the car, turn on the radio. I'd hear that there was a press announcement being dropped at, in a couple of hours relating to the club. There was a few rumours on Twitter and Instagram doing the rounds that there was a meeting at six o'clock to discuss the future of the club, but nothing materialised. And it turns out, from what we're hearing that Steve Bruce is very, very much in charge, despite his comments in the media that seem to be him begging to be sacked, saying that he expects that we can finish in the top 10, which is just wild to me. I mean, those players who signed in the summer who clearly thought they were signing for a promotion favourite, what they must think when they read those comments or hear those comments is beyond me. But it's very much clear that he's in charge for at least the Preston game. It's at a point now where I'm like, how much do you blame Steve Bruce? he clearly is out of his depth and he can simply do anything and it's not going to result in him getting sacked. Ron Gawley now is as much to blame in all of this. To be honest, I, I'm starting to think that Ron Gawley is more of a problem than Steve Bruce, to be totally truthful. I think while he's at the club, Albion are in danger of just completely stagnating. He hasn't done anything towards building a backroom team or staff that are going to support the growth like we had under Jeremy Peace in the past. And then above that, you've got an owner who doesn't seem to be interested or involved in the day-to-day running of the club. But let's bring it back down to the the kind of minutia of Steve Bruce. I'm absolutely stunned that he's still there. I cannot believe that a manager that a 
following the series of results that we've had and our current position in the table, and as much as you can point to bad luck and some poor refereeing decisions in certain games and moments of encouraging performances, you have to be really, really generous to say that his tenure at the Albion, including the end of last season, it has been an absolute disaster. Previous managers have been sacked in massively better positions than we currently occupy. And all that you kind of left scratching your head thinking, well, what what is it going to take for this bloke to lose his job? You came in earlier on our conversation, Tom, with an interesting fact regarding Steve Cooper. Would you share that with the listeners? I saw a tweet today doing the rounds and I thought it was absolutely fantastic in that it was basically saying that it's, it's very much looking like Steve Cooper's going to get the sack from what I've seen today anyway, or, you know, he's maybe got one more game. And the tweet was basically saying that Steve Cooper, in the time that Steve Bruce has been at the club, Steve Cooper has come to Forest, who were bottom of the championship. He's then taken them up you know, via the playoffs, taken them into the Premier League. He's then obviously had a similar amount of games to Bruce this season in the Premier League. And it's looking likely he's going to lose his job before Steve Bruce, who took over the Albion when we were sat fifth, I believe, in the table, who has now taken us to sitting just outside the relegation spots on goal difference. You know, he's taken us from fifth to that, who's still going to remain in his job and Steve Cooper's going to get the sack before him. You know, I read that tweet and I read it back about kind of three or four times. And the more I read it, the more just insane, really. It is. It just sums perfectly up what you've just said in that, what has this guy got to do to get the sack? Like you touched on what he's come out and said today in his press conference you know, it's it's almost like he's trying. It's almost like he's mm-hmm. trying to get the sack. Tom's facts. So let's get into it then now. The conversation that's perhaps the biggest conversation around the club at the moment. I did promise a little bit of an autopsy, didn't I? That we would dig into the meat and bones of this subject. So if you two will scrub up, we'll enter into the post-mortem of the club following the Swansea match. Um, both being surgical experts, this should be really, really good. I think the interesting place for me to start is that I got in my car and I was waiting for this announcement regarding Steve Bruce and there was a phone call to the BBC WM where a bloke rang up, made some brilliant points about the game and then undercut it all by saying that he still backed Steve Bruce and that for him, Steve Bruce hadn't been backed enough in the summer. I am so done with people saying that the lack of investment is the reason Albion are where we are this season. This is purely a Steve Bruce issue. I do hate lie. I really struggle with Gawley, but there is more than enough there resource-wise in terms of players for Albion to be there or thereabouts this season in the top six, I believe even higher than that. And I think if we were close to the top, all of these off the field issues wouldn't look as nearly bad as they do. And so I think that Bruce realistically, he's doing such a bad job to make this play these players play as badly as they are. And then other people have said in the past that perhaps it's just that these players aren't as good as we thought they were. And I, and I honestly, I'm just, I really struggle with that because when I'm looking at the team we played against on Saturday and Blues and 
just across every week we're coming up against teams and they don't have they haven't spent millions and millions of pounds they haven't got world-class players at every single position i think this league is very average and i think the standard of player is very very average and then on the flip side you look at our albion squad we've got players who play for european international teams you've got players who've played in the premiership with significant experience there or there or thereabouts you've got players who topped every every attacking metric and chance creation metric last season in this league. You have got players at every position, which should mean that we are dominating most games. And yet the simple reality is, is that those players come underneath Steve Bruce. And it was said at the very beginning of the season, and I didn't give it as much credit as I should have, that Steve Bruce makes teams less than some of the parts. It happened at Newcastle and it's happened at various other stages with Villa. You look at the team he had at Villa and how they were performing, it is absolutely ridiculous. Half those players now are in the top half of the Premiership for either Villa or other teams. And I just can't believe, sorry, not that Villa are at the top half of the league, but they've performed at a Premiership level now. And it took someone else coming in to make the difference and move those, those clubs forward. I cannot see a way forward for Steve Bruce now. They're just my thoughts. Someone take the baton and the scalpel and would you continue with the post-mortem? I agree with absolutely all that, mate. I just, I think this argument that he hasn't been backed is just a ludicrous one. And anyone who's kind of keeps blowing that trumpet now, I just, I just think they, I haven't got any kind of... <laughs> I've got to be careful what I say there. I was about to like... Do it, mate. <laughs> Throw them under the they're, bus. Their footballing knowledge, shall we say. I just don't think they've got any kind of concept of modern football in the game. There's not many teams we're going to come up against this season who have got better squads than us. Even with the areas, holes we didn't plug, shall we say. It's probably the best way to describe it. You know, we're like up top. Centre forward replacing DK is the big one, isn't it? You know, even when you kind of add that into the mix, we have still got a much better squad on paper than the vast majority of the division. You know, every, you know, pretty much every one of the teams we've come up against so far, bar maybe Norwich, Burnley, and Watford. You know, the teams that came down. Our starting eleven on paper has been better than the opposition. So this argument that he hasn't been backed properly and supported in the window is absolute nonsense. And, you, and I'm the same as you. I'm getting absolutely sick and tired of it. And I don't, I just don't understand it. I, I just cannot understand the logic and the, 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 the mindset of keeping Bruce in his post now. You know, he's, he's proven over the 11 games that we've played so far that he... His time is done in football. You know, I know that sounds kind of brutal, um, but it is. And I'm very much of the opinion that I just think, you know, the type of manager he is, the type of coaches, they're just a dying breed and they're slowly being phased out. You know, the likes of Warnock, you know, Warnock retired recently, the likes of Sam Allardyce, you know, he hasn't had a job since he left us. They're called dinosaurs, aren't they? That's what they they, they, they kind of get referred to you know, among football fans. He's dinosaur mate. And that's what they are, you know, the, 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 the meteor hit a long time ago and these managers are a dying breed but unfortunately for us we've brought one in and not only have we brought one in we seemingly just seem to be keeping hold of him and backing him when he's making the team worse and worse i, I can't i could sit here and talk you know for hours and hours about how mad 
the decision is to, to keep him in post. This is the question I'll pose to you two. Yeah, I'll ask you what can you even think of one thing, one thing for keeping Steve Bruce? Because I can't, because I really honestly feel like clearly he hasn't got a plan B. You know, he's got this one way of setting up and playing, one formation. You know, other than that, if that's not working, it, it, that's it. He hasn't got a plan B. It's as simple as that. And he, he's starting to lose the players. It's quite clearly evident to me, you know, from, from the performance we've seen the last few weeks. I just, it's just baffling, baffling. I've got one. Season tickets will be cheaper in League One, which is... <laughs> We might we might end up playing Warsaw again if they start to turn their season around. Another local derby, mix it up a little bit. But apart from that, no, there isn't many redeeming qualities about his management. What can be the conversation that they're having right now to say, let's not get rid of him yet? I think they're rubbing their hands. Even Gourlay's rubbing his hands for the compensation he can receive because Lowe's Lowe not shy at pulling the trigger, is he? We saw it with Darren Moore. Darren Moore was in the playoffs and he got sacked. Yeah, we were in the playoffs. When Darren Moore got sacked, we were in the playoffs. And when Valerian Ismail got sacked, we were sat in the playoffs. That was the right decision in both of those situations yeah, no, as I'm well? Not, I'm not, yeah, no, I'm, and that's the thing. He's not shy at pulling the trigger, lies. And yeah, he might not have great relations with supporters, but he's not shy at doing that. So I think Gourlay just riding it out for the compensation. I know he hasn't got a massive contract, with the owl. Him and, him and uh, Bruce are best friends and they say this at Newcastle. Bruce didn't want to shift and I wouldn't do the same because he was going to get a lot of compensation at Newcastle. Huge amount, wasn't it? It was about the 10 million or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's cashing checks. Yeah, but for us, he isn't going to get that much, is it? But I still, both are waiting to be sacked by life. All I know is that their fates are now tied together because of Ron Gawley's refusal to sack Steve Bruce. He's basically saying, I'm in this for the long haul. And the only way, I mean, obviously, I think if there is any more negative results, if we lose to Preston tomorrow night, it's not going to have the home crowd on their backs. We're going to be allowed to play a little bit more of a standoffish game. Preston, obviously, again, are a struggling opposition. We're not going to talk too much about the Preston game because by the time this podcast goes up, there's only going to be a few hours before kickoff. But ultimately, results will eventually, he'll have to be sacked if it keeps going that we're on a losing trip. He will. But ultimately, we will pick up points this season. It's inevitable that we will. We're too good to not pick up points. And that keeps saving Bruce. And I think. Now, they're so in bed together, Ron Gawley and Steve Bruce, that they've both got to go. But then I don't know what the club does about that in the middle of a season where you've got no sporting or technical director. You've got a backroom staff that are absolutely, well, from the evidence of this summer, no recruitment plan, no strategy at all about approaching the coming season. So they seem to be all inept as well. And then again, you've got Steve Bruce and all of his ineptitude that he brings to the party as well. The whole thing, you could just tear it up and start again, in my opinion. And that's what I would want to do if I was lying, because ultimately it's his millions on the line. Yeah, but this is this is the point, and Joe made a, a great point then in the lie in the past. He hasn't messed about, has he? He hasn't messed around. He got rid of more in the playoffs. He got rid of Ishmael in the playoffs. He had to pay out big compo, especially on Ishmael. You know, he you know he'd, he'd signed a 
long contract, hadn't he? So we had to really pay out when we got rid of him. So it begs the question, what? why isn't he doing it now? And, th- and there's only one explanation for it, is that we cannot afford it. We cannot afford to sack Bruce and pay him off. And not just Bruce, obviously all his coaching staff that sit underneath him as well. You know, get rid of all them and pay him off. There isn't any other logical explanation as to why Lai hasn't stepped in and said, this ain't good enough because he's shown in the past that you know, he's made that decision. He's made that decision in much, much better situations. The club been in much better situations when he's made that decision in the past. Yeah, you know, whether we, you know, whether we think so or not, you know, just our league position, and that's the, that's the scary thing for me here is that why isn't he doing that now? There's, there's some reason as to why he isn't doing that in this instance now because we're on the fast decline under Steve Bruce and he's doing nothing about it. And the only the only explanation I I can think of is 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 money in that they don't want to pay they don't they can't afford to basically pay out on Bruce. You know that they've gone all out almost in you know, Bruce's contract and all his coaching staff, but on you know on the contracts on the likes of Swift, Wallace, Yukoslu. You know we got these guys on a free, but undoubtedly they're on big wages. You know the, he's rolled the dice, he's gone big, and it's not working out. But there's nothing he can do about it now because we can't we can't afford it. Or it's like you said, is it's, it's, it's Gourlay and and how much power he now has at the club. But still, you'd think that Lai sat above him would still have authority over him and make decision if he felt it was necessary. And this is what I just cannot understand. I think there is money still at the club. I really, I really do. And I think even if there's not money at the club, in order to preserve there being future revenue at the club, West Brom cannot get relegated at any stretch of the imagination. So if the cost of sacking Steve Bruce is weighed up against the cost of Steve Bruce remaining. That for me is like, that's an easy decision. The money has to be spent to get rid of him and his backgrounds, a backroom staff. I think it's a fair conclusion to reach. It's a difficult thing to argue against saying that, why hasn't he pulled the trigger? I do think there's something interesting you raised though there with the Ron Gawley being quite a powerful presence in the boardroom at the moment and also insulating Lai. I'm not sure how aware even Lai is of the situation at the club, really. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he's completely clueless, really, about where we are in the league and whatnot. That might be a radical thing to say. I think ultimately, Steve Bruce is on a limited, limited, limited leash now. It it cannot be, if we struggle against Preston, it has to be that there's already activity that's gone on this weekend into this week that we just aren't privy to, or the activity begins that night. Um, I think it was you that mentioned when we were messaging on Instagram, Tom, that the Slaven Bilic, the way he was kind of unceremoniously dealt with following a draw away at Man City, that he was like kind of given the news on the coach, like after a great result. Steve Bruce has ticked every box that Guacan Line normally needs to to pull the trigger. You can guarantee, yeah, let's say we lose tomorrow and they've got no... Gourley has to sack his best mate. There's been no succession planning. Definitely not been any succession planning because we don't... That seems to have gone since... What's his name? Ashworth was here, wasn't it? It takes us a while to get anybody in post. But these are the things that Gourley 
as a experienced CEO of Chelsea, Reading, or he, he likes to ban this around, should be doing. Even if it is his best mate, that's part of business, part and parcel of being a football CEO, surely. Succession mm-hmm. planning, looking at data to say, well, this manager isn't doing well at this rate. We probably will get relegated at the, uh, the amount of points per game. We probably will get relegated because Middlesbrough just sat their manager, so they'll probably get the bounce. And most likely, they'll get a better manager than we will. And we'll probably pick up Chris Wilder after all that blooming uh, faff. We've got to really now roll the dice on someone from a lower league, English manager, who's got a bit of nouse about him, who needs to show off and can say yes to the, you know, to the Gourlays, to the lie. We haven't got any money. That's what we need. Someone who can work with youth because this money situation is getting worse and worse. And if we were to get relegated, Everyone's gone, aren't they, from that squad? Mm-hmm. And we're starting again. The thing for me as well is, you know, remember last season when it got toxic with Ishmael? I remember that game. It was against Preston, funnily enough, wasn't it, I think, where it got really toxic, that night game, and the fans ultimately turned on Ishmael and they were, you know, they were kind of directing real abuse towards him, ultimately. And it was absolutely horrible, I remember it. It's, it's going to be like that. It's going to be like that. Even if we say we beat Preston tomorrow, we get three points. We go into the game against Luton. As, as soon as things go south in that game against Luton, say we go a goal behind, you know, say they take the lead, which every team seems to do against us at this moment in time, mm-hmm. you know, score nearly gold and take the lead. Can you imagine what the fans are going to be like? It's going to be exactly the same situation as what happened with Ishmael last season. Yeah, and, and, and again, this is why I can't understand the logic because Gourlay was there. He was there, wasn't he, last season when this happened with Ishmael? You know, he, he knows exactly how it played out and what happened with the fans. And the fans ultimately forced the board's hand, didn't they, I felt, with, with how they were you know, at the Hawthorns and how toxic it got with Ishmael. The same will just happen with Bruce. They're just delaying the inevitable. Like you said, regardless of regardless of, of money, regardless of Gourlay's relationship with Bruce, they are just delaying the inevitable. It will happen at some point. The fact is, is that if they, you know, it could happen at a point where our season, we can't pull it back. That's the thing that concerns me now. I mean, Alex said this on last week's episode that we're only so many points behind the automatic playoff positions. The issue is, is that there are that many teams in front of us that are also that many points or less ahead of us for the automatic playoff promotions. There's no one really that's taken the league by the scruff of its neck, which is a great indication that if a team does go on a run, you could really probably jump a massive number of places up the league. But realistically, I just can't see, even if Steve Bruce does get a couple of results, he's not going to take us on a season-changing run. It's just not in his capabilities. It's not in his wheelhouse. It's it's just not something that I can envision him doing. A quick question, then we'll kind of start to wrap this autopsy up because obviously I think we've diagnosed that this person, this club is currently dead or dying. Is there a situation, what would it take for Steve Bruce to turn it around? Because I genuinely, I'm going to sit here and tell you right now, we could win the next 10 matches and I still want him gone. If he got Zahor firing, 
then I'd keep him. <laughs> I'd keep him. I think that is impressive. You know, I'm going like, to tell you one thing now. So WBART, our good friend, has just turned off the podcast. <laughs> That's the impo- an impossible task. If he did that, I'd keep him. We're in the bottom three, but Zahor is scoring. There you go. <laughs> he will have proven himself as elite level. He, he, he'd automatically go up there alongside Pep and Jurgen Klopp when he so if true. he got Zahor banging in the goals. Then, like you said, position, league position is just irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that on its own. <laughs> Just takes him up to elite level status. He is up there with the greats. If he could get, if he could get Kenneth scoring, yeah, I've got to agree there. There's only one way, you know, Bruce can kind of salvage this. And if is it's like you touched on it earlier, James, he's, he's got to just go on a run now. He's got to go on a crazy run, where we've got to put at least kind of, yeah, at the very least, we've got to get three, four wins back to back. And then maybe a draw could sneak in, but then a couple more wins. You know, we've got to put an unbeaten run together. I think that's probably the best way to put it. With more wins than draws, you know, we've got to rack up, start racking up some consecutive victories. That's the only way. That's the only way. But you know, from what we've seen, what we've seen against Swansea, what we saw against Birmingham, it's just not going to happen, is it? It's just not going to happen. We all know that. All the fans know that. All. The vast majority of fans know that. It's, you know, if I actually, I tell you what now, I want to say this on the podcast now. If Steve Bruce manages to turn this around, yeah, I'm that confident he won't. But if he manages to turn this around and, shall we say, you know, he's still in the job come the second half of the season, we're kind of maybe in that playoff mix or we're just outside the playoffs. We're, we're back in the mix, shall we say. If that happens, I will get a Steve Bruce cabbage tattoo on my ass. That is how confident I am that it's not going to happen. That is it continues the long-running tradition of us making threats against various professionals at the club that we will get tattoos of them if they break their underperformance. That if that's not incentive <laughs> for Steve Bruce to kind of get the brain committee together and sort of sort out this mess at Albion to just see some flesh and cabbage creativity on said flesh. I mean, these are the incentives that are needed at the club, surely. Last question. How long do you think it's going to be before someone actually brings a cabbage in? It's, got, it's quite soon, isn't it? There's gonna, it is going to get that low. Happened. Yeah. I'm shocked. I'm shocked as well it hasn't happened. It's it's happening at Preston, I reckon. I'm gonna call, I reckon I'm calling it now. There'll be a cabbage at Preston. If we don't win that game... If Preston take the league, you don't want to call it a cabbage will make its way onto the pitch. And if it doesn't, what tattoo are you getting? <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. It's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. There's loads and loads more we could talk about, and I'm sure there'll be plenty more to talk about over the coming weeks. Hopefully, this podcast stays relevant for a couple of days usually when we talk like this in the podcast we find out that they've already been sacked and this the whole podcast is completely irrelevant or we've spoken about david wagner for 45 minutes for no reason whatsoever so there is always um, a kind of a time span with these things that's why we're not talking too much about the preston gang because just appreciate that most people will be listening to this and the preston game might be in the rear view mirror can't believe though 
that we went up there and Preston thumped us 6-0 and Steve Bruce was entombed in a sarcophagus of cabbages. Um, but still didn't get sacked. <laughs> but still didn't get sacked, yeah, he's still... <laughs> yeah, he's still very firmly in control at the helm. Right, thanks for joining us, Tom. It's always great to have you with us, mate. Always a, a great conversation and just a top guy as well. So thank you for your time. Appreciate you getting your hands dirty in the autopsy room as well. That's important to us that like everyone gets their their fair share of the splatter. Yeah, no, cheers. Thanks for having me on, mate. I uh, really enjoyed it last time round. So uh, I was, even though I knew the topic of conversation was going to be, you know, borderline suicidal, I was just keen to come on and obviously chat to you guys. Obviously, you know where Tom's at. He's at Baggy's Bulletin on Instagram. Well worth a follow, as we always say. Lots of interactions with fans on there. Always got good opinion pieces and obviously lots of uh, news and up-to-date Albion Albion analysis. So definitely follow Tom there. And he also does his pre-match videos and post-match thoughts. I'm always so impressed that he just does them off the cuff. But Tom, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Joe, it's also a pleasure in some ways to have you on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that just didn't feel genuine did it no Jack? no I, I struggled to come for, like just to kind of even get the words out all that remains for me to say today is a huge thank you to you joe cheers a huge thank you to you tom thank you and we'll see you all next week sweet dreams